the message this morning will be delivered by Reverend Buddy Brasso. By the time he spends a few months in Peru and comes back for his ordination service January 21st, he will be Pontiff uh, Ricardo Brasso. Look, as we studied this morning, there were some things that came up. And um, I just want to tell you as we start the message and for it to be recorded for those that will need to hear this tomorrow, what the pastors just got a chance to do in Israel is something we want to do with all of you. How many of you have an interest in going to Israel? Amen. Uh, we're going to give you that chance. Uh, we're going to do it throughout the One Association. We're not going to do it as a tourism event. We're going to do it as an educational event. So if you get a chance to stop by the house tonight, the pastors will be talking about uh, some of their experiences there. And uh, we're going to get back to you uh, on exactly how we're going to accomplish it. But I think we're going to take trips of nine people at a time. That way it can be disciple-oriented, like a rabbi following or disciples following a rabbi. And it also happens to be what fits in a van. So that's, that's also a blessing. Otherwise, we would take 12, but... Until the French make a Renault that seats 12 people, we probably won't do it. Um, as we were studying this morning and listening to what Buddy has to share, which is going to be phenomenal, uh, he brought a picture, and I'd, I'd like to show that if you don't mind. <clears throat> the, it's the first slide, yeah. In this picture, um, the tall, slender gentleman on the left uh, with the cowboy hat on was me 80 pounds ago. Uh, and that is not the point of the uh, picture. <laughs> when you work from left to right across there, there's Eric Stevens and Judah Stevens. Um, wow, that is really dark. There's JJ, Captain America, My, uh, J, JJ Moloch, Michael Hutchinson, Devin Hutchinson, Buddy Brasso, and then who's that guy on the far right? Brent Vincent. You know what you see there? You see an expression of our church's vision. We want to take just a second to show you this. Uh, all of these men are ministry-minded. All of these men are working in ministry in some form or fashion. We're a church that both sends people and receives people. Uh, for instance, so many of those have been sent or are being sent. But if we don't have JJ and Natalie, if we don't have Curtis and Mary here, if we don't have Rick and Susan here, or Alex and Haley, then who is there to help model the life for those that are being raised up and sent? And when you are not being pastored 24 hours a day, where do you hang out to see the life displayed? In other words, you need a foundational element of your church that is ministry-minded, that wants with all of their heart to impact the world, and their calling is to be a pillar in a church. They'll travel in a bunch of places. They'll do a bunch of things. But when they look back on their life, much like Charlie and Joe look back on their life, their legacy is not that they spent two years in a foreign country and came home or seven years in a foreign country and came home. It's that 70 people came through their lives and they contributed to their lives. And now the people that they love and consider friends and sons and daughters and brothers and sisters around the world are those that fellowshiped in their living rooms and are now spreading the gospel in foreign countries. Isn't that a healthy mixture? 
what is on the right was displayed in May of 2017. We had been talking about it for a long time. And that evening, God gave one of us a vision of a spearhead. And it was wide at the bottom with five pillars that the Lord told us represented the grace on a man's life to change. The one life portion of our vision is when the life-transforming power, the grace of God, shows up in your life to free you from sin. The goal then is that you're plugged into this community, that you become a pillar in this community, not just waiting for a pastor or someone to model the church life for you, but for each family to actually be an example of what Jesus is like. I'm proud of what we have here at a foundational level. It means that this ministry doesn't rest on any one family. Isn't that beautiful? What would we do without some of the people on your left and right? We'll never find out because we were called to do this together. Amen. So I want to read you a passage, then hand it to Pastor Piro, who will describe the second level of that vision. This is... I can't read it without my glasses, so let me quote it for you. It's 2 Corinthians 5.17. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Say new creation with me. The old has gone, the new has come. Every person in this body that is working on getting rid of the old man, who is constantly taking hold of the new man that is ours in Christ... The word says that he makes you like a pillar in the house of his God. That means you are fit to be examples to everyone else. You know, if you live long enough in the race, you are going to see those that came in a decade after you pastor you one day. Two decades after you pastor you one day. That's how this works, and that is to our glory. How many of you would like to contribute to somebody's life who pastors you in the last years of your life? Man, you, that investment uh, might pay off well. <laughs> Amen. Pastor Piro, would you help us? Absolutely. So the second level that you hear, as you see here, is three pillars which are designed to govern. You know, this makes me immediately reflect on Abraham. Abraham himself was called by God, but did, was it just Abraham that fulfilled the calling? No, in the same way, Buddy Brasso has received the calling, but it requires the rest of his family to be able to carry out the remaining part of that calling. So let's pull up Genesis 18, 19. Uh, I'll just read it to you since we'll, we'll hold this picture here. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children. Everybody say children. And his household. Everybody say household. After him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. The promises and call of God that originate in a single man are carried out in his household because ministry flows from his household. How we govern our home will be how we govern our ministry. And how we get it right and wrong will be displayed in a grander fashion when it's in ministry. If anyone has the idea that as soon as you step into ministry, everything becomes easier, we're here to help realign and adjust that perception. The perception really is this, is that after we see the call of God upon Abraham's life, he endured many trials and many struggles. And one of the first ones that ensued was he and his wife could not produce offspring. In doing so, stepping forward in faith and persisting in it for over 20 years, 
God fulfilled his promise in Abraham's life and brought about him a son. Therefore, laying down multiple pillars that would help govern the call of God on his life that then would bleed out or, or grow to governing the nation of Israel. But it doesn't just end with a family alone. Everybody say go. go. Part of the incredible thing about this vision that was seen in May and the part that is easy to emphasize, and especially on a day like today because we're having Buddy Brasso speak to us because he is about to go. There are many of us in here who want to go. But if you'll notice as we're looking at, if we start from where Pastor Eric started us this morning, the five pillars of grace, do you realize that the bottom, the base of this, to be able to sin properly, that you're going to have more people that need to be pillars and as it goes forth and have people grow and have people learn how to govern their families rightly and therefore be worthy of leading in the house of God, that the people who are going become those at the very tip of the spear. But without those that are supporting from the families, without those that are supporting from the one life, from the structure of the church, it's not going to function properly. We're trying to emphasize today not only the going but the receiving that we have here. Not only those who are going to be sent out, and that's going to be many in the room, but there are many in this room who are going to need to stay to grow in their own hearts to help others go as well. In Matthew chapter 9 and verse 36, it says this. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Wow. What, what a great sermon that you can just see. He had compassion on them. What, what does Jesus see when he looks at people? Apparently, in this case, he saw compassion because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, so there is the framework that Jesus Christ, that the word of God provides for us for what Jesus was looking at. Then he said, because he saw that they were harassed and helpless because he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. He said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. That is one of the foundational parts of our church is that we are praying, that we are preparing, that we are getting people ready to go. Everybody say go. go. Because the Lord himself told us to pray this. He told us to prepare for this. Today as Buddy comes forth, uh, comes, on, comes on up to the stage, this is our heart's cry. This is what you see that began, <laughs> the truth is, is, the picture on your right of the pillar is not really any different than what you saw being acted out in September of 2013. This was the same heart that God has had throughout the history of this church. And it is our honor here to have Buddy come and share a powerful word with you this morning. Amen? Amen. Y'all stretch forward your hands towards Buddy. We're going to pray for him. Remember that this is Buddy, Kim, and Julia. Buddy is just the God-appointed spokesperson this morning and at the end of the service we're going to have a chance for them to pray for us and us them along with the elders y'all ready to pray for them yeah. mighty god we thank you for this beautiful and this slightly bitter day this joyous occasion mighty god and this tearful occasion lord we love the brasso family and it is hard for us to send them but you have taught us to send our best and lord we are here today to say your life-transforming power in the Brassos is the best. It is the best. Lord, we joyfully commit them to the work that you have for them. And we thank you for the opportunity to circumcise our ears that we would be able to receive the word that comes 
from Buddy's mouth today in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Are we on? Yes. Good. All right, church, before we get started, because this is going to be a good word. If uh, you have lunch reservations, you've got two options. You can call and cancel them, or you can turn them over to the Baptist, because they'll be there before we will anyway. All right. Have I told y'all lately that I will miss my church? Hmm. Like Pastor Eric said, this is very bittersweet, guys. Uh, we're among family. I feel like we're in an enlarged living room here. Um, can you put the picture of the guys back up, please? You know, we talked about this picture. We talked about these men. And I can't help but think of people like J.J. and Curtis. Um, our walk here at LCM didn't just start in 2015 when we came, but it started all the way back in 2008. Uh, in 2008, Pastor Eric prophesied in service here that we would be serving spiritual food to the nations. At the time I was a year into my salvation, I had no idea what that meant. But now today is the culmination of that. We get to see that take place. But before we start our message, I just want to say thanks specifically to J.J. and to Curtis because I remember coming here since 2008, always seeing J.J. and Curtis. And we always felt a peace that we knew when we would come here, we would see brothers that would welcome us and love us. And even to this day, the Lord has yoked J.J. and I with the same mezuzah statement out of Isaiah 58. And so uh, I'm grateful for J.J.'s support, been to Peru with me. And uh, that always holds a dear place in my heart. As far as for Curtis, um, I remember talking to Curtis many, many times on the phone. And uh, he always had my family and I in his best interest, Amen. always seeing what he could do for us. And we were the ones traveling. And uh, it always brought such a peace to us that when we come, we get to see these guys. And so, Curtis, I pray that on the ordination day that I'm found worthy in your eyes to at least get a little bit of panther oil. <laughs> Amen. No, I know. That's what I'm saying. I hope I'm actually found worthy in his eyes that I would get some. All right, let's get on. As I said, today is November 5th, 2017, and today's message is called Humble, uh, it's called Huge Mountains and Humble Beginnings. You'll show that screen, that uh, slide. There we go. Huge Mountains and Humble Beginnings. So this is on one of my trips to Peru, and I'm standing at the uh, top of Coca Canyon. And at the time, I'm going to tell you what I was thinking at that moment. I was thinking right there how huge that mountain was, how small and insignificant I felt at the time. And I thought, how in the world could I be called to this? How could I make any kind of impact in this place? But praise God for prophecy, right? The words that we heard today, I changed my perspective on this. Um, Alicia, she read today, and she said that something about stumbling blocks. And I thought to myself, this huge mountain that I see before me is not going to be a stumbling block for this servant of, the God, of God. Reason being is because he planted a seed in my heart that he has very much tenderized over these last 10 years. And he is the only one that can make it grow. He can make it grow only by the leading of his Holy Spirit and with me completely submitting my life to him. Amen? Amen. All right, let's go to Job chapter 8. We're going to start in verse 5. We're going to see about uh, walking through scripture today to learn about humble beginnings. We all have them because we've all started from nothing. And we're in the process of watching God turn us into something. Job 
Job chapter 8, verse 5. But if you will look to God and plead with the Almighty, if you are pure and upright, even now he will rouse himself on your behalf and restore you to your rightful place. Your beginnings will seem humble. So prosperous will your future be. This picture that we had up there about me looking into the canyon, I know my beginnings have been very humble because I've seen in the last 10 years what the Lord has done with my life. But I know because that seed that he has planted in me, the Lord will lead me to a very prosperous life in the kingdom for his glory, not for mine, but for his glory. Because at the end of the day, I'm still going to be insignificant. I'm still going to be insignificant because it's all about King Jesus. It's not about me. It's not about my family. He's just using this. Like they said, I'm the mouthpiece for this family to go into Peru to make a difference, to see the kingdom advance. Ladies, could you put up the picture of Chivai, please? So here are the gateway to Chivai, a city of a group of very humble people, about eight to 10,000. And in this place, we will begin to see the seed that has sown in my heart begin to be sown in these people as well. I'm praying that we will be able to bring the unity that God has given us out of Acts 4.32. That we will see all the believers be in one heart and in one mind. And we will bring this ichad to Peru. We will bring unity starting with Chivai. And we are hoping and praying that it goes throughout the whole Canyon region. Not just in this one place. But that's where it starts. For a lot of people, they don't even know where Chivai is. So this could be a small, insignificant place on most people's maps. But for us, because he has given us this place in our heart, it is not insignificant by any means. We love these people. We love this place. And we look so forward to falling in love with the rest of the region there. So we're praying that when we come back, maybe in January, we can maybe preach in Spanish. That's high expectations. But maybe we'll put Baj right alongside of us. All right. If we look back in Job, uh, right here where it says... The word humble. That is the Hebrew word mitzar. It's Hebrew 4705. And it means just that. It means a small or insignificant thing. When I was again reflecting on that picture. I was just thinking about God's perspective. As uh, our brother Alex preached on Wednesday. Having a different perspective of our life. And I thought my life seems so insignificant. But I came to Second Peter you don't have to turn there. It says, the Lord, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. So just for fun, I begin to put this in perspective, okay? So I've been here at LCM for three years, and like I said, this process started, it's, it's nine years in the making. This didn't just happen overnight. I used to have uh, phone calls with Pastor Eric, and he was pastoring me when I was still in Louisiana going through a rough time and being called away from work spending three or four months trying to figure things out and hearing from God. So he was actually being my pastor long before I actually got here. Uh, so this has been a nine-year process. And I'm going to tell you, it is worth waiting for not to be in a hurry to go somewhere. You know, we just talked about most of us want to go. That's fine if you want to go. But we have to wait and endure the process because it will be very prosperous and fruitful when the Lord calls us to go, not when we feel we need to go. Amen? Amen. So, three years, I started looking at this. Three years compared to a day. 
I just did a little bit of math. Listen to this. Three years in the kingdom, or I'm sorry, three years in my life is equal to four minutes and 32 seconds in the kingdom of God. How about that for insignificant? Okay, so I say, what about my salvation? How about me walking with the Lord? That's 10 years now. Okay, in the kingdom, it's 14.40 seconds. We're getting somewhere, aren't we? I thought to myself, man, this is going to take forever. One year in the kingdom, okay? One year in the kingdom would take me 42 years. I got saved at 36, so that means I would not see one hour in the kingdom of God until I'm 78. Can I get an amen for that? <laughs> so, guys, look. Truly, we are insignificant. But what can God do with us when we completely surrender our life, when we completely give everything we have to him and allow our hearts to begin to cultivate the seed that he has put in it? Amen. Let's go to, uh, oh, never mind. Back to the Peru picture, if you don't mind, uh, of all the men. I want to share with you a few thoughts I have about the, about the picture again. These men were just mere men. So some of the thoughts I had as I was preparing the message about this is, God calls the willing, not the able. Without his Holy Spirit, we are just mere men. I remember this picture like it was yesterday. That's how much it means to me. And we are all mere men. But without his leading of the Holy Spirit, we're going to remain mere men. We need to have his spirit. We need to be led by it to produce a harvest in the kingdom. And that's what I say. These men are working and awaiting to produce a harvest in the kingdom of God to glorify King Jesus. Amen. Three thoughts about this. Keep this in mind. It's not what we say, but it's what we do. It's not how you start, but it's how you finish. Amen. Also, it's not who you are. It's who you can become. Amen. And Pastor Eric used this scripture just a, a little while ago. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. This picture depicts that scripture to me because we were all old men there. Those guys have all died. We are now on to something new. Pastors, missionaries, pillars in the house of God. And so we are all becoming someone new in Christ Jesus. Amen. All right, let's get started with Genesis 19. What I want to do is walk through the scripture with two examples of men's lives that appear or seem to be insignificant, but God used them in a mighty, mighty way. So the first one is Genesis 19. Go on down to verse 18. We're going to talk about Lot. <clears throat> Okay. But Lot said to them, No, my lords, please, your servant has found favor in your eyes, and you have shown great kindness to me in sparing my life. But I cannot flee to the mountains. This disaster will overtake me, and I will die. Look, here is a town near enough to run to. It is small, and it is small. Let me flee to it, and it is very small, isn't it? Then my life will be spared. We see here the word small. It is Hebrew, 
Mitzar. It's 4705. Again, it means exactly what it means. A small thing or something that is insignificant. It's going down. He said to him, Very well. I will grant this request to you. I will not overthrow the town you speak of, but flee there quickly, because I cannot do anything until you reach it. That is why the town is called Zor. By the time Lot reached Zor, the sun had risen over the land. Then the Lord rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. Okay, now we're going to unpack this a little bit. <clears throat> Go back to Zor, right here in verse 22. That is why the town is called Zor. Zor in the Hebrew also means small or insignificant. So the town of Zor is where Lot was pleading to God, give me an opportunity to run. Let this be a city of refuge. We've recently heard scripture and we've heard sermons about this, running to a city of refuge. So Lot was able to go to this city to find refuge that he would not be put to death. The town of Zor, I was looking through, it is a part of five cities. It's a, it's a pentopolis, five cities, and it's on the plains. Okay, here's the cities. They include Sodom, Gomorrah, Adma, Zeboim, Bela, which is also called Zor. Now, these five cities were all a part of this pentopolis where, where Lot was wanting to run to. It lists in Genesis 14, Zor being the fifth city, okay? We know the number five being grace. So when I was looking through this, I said, wow, how cool is this that Lot is running to a town that he's going to find God's grace and be spared, that his life would not be demolished. It would not be consumed by the fire and brimstone that is talked about here. In the King James Version, um, burning sulfur is the fire and brimstone. So, what does this land look like? We know what happened in Sodom and Gomorrah. But let's go to Revelation 21 because I want to show you what type of people that this is set out for. The ones that can expect brimstone and fire. It's Revelation 21. Revelation 21, slide down to verse 8. These are the type of people that can expect to have this fire and brimstone rain down upon them. It says, But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur or fire and brimstone. This is the second death. Now, that's what Lot was escaping. I want to share with you about my testimony about the time in my life when I felt like I was going to receive this fire and brimstone upon my head and that I had to cry out to the Lord. So this was back in uh, Gulfport, Mississippi. That was kind of like my Sodom and Gomorrah. I was not saved yet, and I was living a life of hell, to be honest. And the things that we just described here, I fit the category of a few of those. So we lived there for nine years. Nine years. We were on the verge of divorce. Uh, life was very hard. It was very, um, it was very sinful, to be honest. 
And so what the Lord used in my life to get me to cry out for a place like Zor was Hurricane Katrina. Hurricane Katrina came, demolished the area, and I feel like that's what Lord, the Lord used to save myself and my family. We came out of Gulfport, Mississippi, and Baton Rouge became my Zor. It was a place where I was able to go and find refuge. Wow. Find refuge, begin to cultivate a relationship here with Pastor Eric and LCMF at the time, and um, begin to see God working in my life. And we all have a place that we've come to. I would say that today because all of us are sitting here together, this may be your Zor. We've all come from something. I remember coming, talking with J.J. and Curtis and, and even Nolan, and I tell these guys, you do not understand how good you have it here. You know, uh, a lot of you, you got saved here. A lot of you, this is the only church you know. And I know I, I repeat this at times whenever I get the opportunity to be up here, but again, it is so worthy to note what we receive here from our pastors is like none other, you know. Um, we have the opportunity to be discipled, equipped for our calling, not equipped for their calling. And that's what we get to see in so many places that we've come from. Kim and I have seen that at multiple churches that we've been a part of. We go and we become great servants. We become great servants to where all we're doing is propping up the pastor that is there. We never get equipped. We never have an opportunity to share our vision with them and then begin to equip us for that. And so we, my family and I, are extremely happy and blessed beyond measure to be able to have spent this time here at LCM. And it's not over by any means. We get the opportunity to come back in January. That's just how good God is to us, right? Amen. I mean, uh, we were just talking with Jennifer right before service. We can't believe that Tuesday is going to be around the corner. It's here already. And uh, it's hard because we have built such relationships with everybody here. And it's so key that in ministry, relationships is the things that we need because that's what's going to sustain us. And our pastors are a great example of that because even with distances between them, whether it be Austin or Baton Rouge and Sugarland, look at what the Lord has done today. He's brought these three men together because of their faithfulness to serve God and their obedience. And so we have to maintain relationships because without that, we will perish. I mean, it's like the word says... Men without a vision will perish. Yeah. So we have to have a vision that we can share with our brothers. That's why we say we're going to fight for our brother's vision. It's not always about us. It's about what we can do for others. And it is so important and it's so key. So when we do leave, we have the opportunity to come back. Because I think the Lord is gracious in our life to know that we have built such relationships here with everybody. It would be too hard for us to just leave and not to come back. Or to have to come back in a year. So because of that, he's poured out his mercy and grace in our life that we get to come back January 17th, spend some more time here. We leave, then we get to come back in October for the One Association meeting. I'm like, man, praise the Lord. That is amazing. So with that being said, start saving your money. Get ready for your trip to Chicago because that's where the One Association is going to be around October 10th or so, right? And if we don't get the opportunity to come here to Sugarland. I'm praying that all of you guys will make it up to Chicago. Amen? Amen. All right. Um, can you put up the slide of the cities, please? I want to show you this revelation that I got while I was studying about the five cities. <clears throat> because this is just the beginning of something good in Lot's life, okay? I know we're going off about the cities, but you will see how this connects in just a minute. So Sodom, 
Sodom means burning. Gomorrah, it means submersion. Adma, it means red earth. Zeboim, gazelles. Bela is destruction. Bela is also a term for zor, which means insignificant. So when I put this together, this is what the Lord showed me. These cities is burning by submersion, becoming red earth with swift destruction, leaving it insignificant. So I say, what in your life needs to be burned up? What in your life needs to become this red earth? So that way it could be burned up, be destroyed very, very swiftly. What is it? What is it that you have that needs to be burned up, destroyed with destruction? Let it become insignificant so then God can begin to grow that seed that he has planted in your heart. Because by allowing things to become insignificant in your life, your possessions, he can start to tenderize your heart. We just recently went through the whole house and we put all of our belongings in a total of uh, 12 totes. We're bringing eight of them on the first trip. But I'm going to tell you, that's a very humbling experience to know that you're going to take everything that you have worked for, uh, what we have built with 22 years of marriage, all into tote sizes, 12 of them. It's very humbling. But the thing is, it has taught us how to die to self day in and day out and to know that things here on earth, guys, are so temporal. They're so temporal and insignificant. If we would get all of that out of our way, Man, the things that God can do with us is amazing. Uh, so I want you really, after this message, to be thinking about what is it that you can rid yourself more of? What kind of things that you think are a huge mountain but are truly insignificant in the kingdom? Amen? Amen. <clears throat> Fight like Lot for your Zor. Mine specifically is Chivai. And that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to fight for my Zor. I'm going to fight for Chivai, for those people for those humble hearts there, for the hearts that are ready to receive the gospel because God is already tenderizing their hearts. He's already planting a seed in them. Let's go on. I want to show you how this relates to Lot because I know you're sitting there thinking, all right, brother, that's a good revelation, but you haven't told us about Lot. Here we go. Gen Genesis 19, go down to uh, verse 36. Verse 36 picks up. So I'm telling you the end of the story because most of us know what happens with Lot's and his daughters. They want to sleep with their father so that way they can preserve the family line. They want to have children with them. And this is where this uh, scripture brings us. So both of Lot's daughters became pregnant by their father. The older daughter had a son, and she named him Moab. He is the father of the Moabites of today. The younger daughter also had a son, and she named him Ben-Ami. He is the father of the Ammonites of today. So this is where it gets good with Lot. So Lot flees to Zor, a place that's insignificant. Think about if this place did not exist, uh, Lot would not have gone. He couldn't be able to stay there. He did not stay there, so he leaves. But then he sleeps with his daughters and has these two, these two sons. One of them, he is the father of the Moabites, it says. The first thing I think of is Ruth. In Ruth chapter 1, she's called a Moabite. In chapter 4, we see that the lineage of Jesus Christ begins through her because she begins to have children of her own and gives birth to Obed, then Jesse, then David. And that's where the line of Jesus Christ comes from, Amen. the tribe of Judah, the line of the tribe of Judah. So think about this. If Lot had not run to, to uh, Zor, 
he would not be the father of the Moabite, or, or Moab would not be the father of the, the Moabites, which then we would not see the existence of Ruth. So to me, I thought this was amazing that we could take Lot out of a region of Sodom and Gomorrah where he was going to have fire and brimstone poured upon him, but because of God's grace, he runs. When he runs, what we see is a life that produces Jesus Christ, our Savior. Now, I'm not saying that my hurricane or even Lot's situation is something good, but what I'm saying is through all of this mess, God can do something. Amen. Brother Alex just preached that on Wednesday. Amen. God is at work in my mess. And I'm going to tell you, God is at work in my mess. He was at, at work in my mess when I wasn't saved. I saw that way back when I was in PT school. He was at work in my mess when I was in Gulfport, Mississippi. He sends a hurricane. He brings me to Baton Rouge. Again, at work in my mess. Even here, even here, the pastors have testified to it. He's at work in my mess. You know, he's using these men to help clean up my mess. And I praise God for it because we need it. We need to have God cleaning up our mess because we are messy people. Yeah, that's, that's a real good word. All right. We're going to talk about Jesus and David now. <clears throat> so I just mentioned Jesus. Let's think about this. We're not going to go in depth with this one, but Jesus, he's, he was born in Bethlehem, born in a manger. He was surrounded by shepherds and sheep. He became the son of David, it says. He became the son of God. He became the savior of the world. You cannot get any more humble, small, insignificant to something great than that. So if that doesn't encourage you, I don't know what will. Because the savior of the world started in a manger. He started in something very small, very insignificant in our eyes. Just goes to show you what the God of all creation can do with us. Amen. Now let's talk about David. David, he was also born in Bethlehem. He was also a shepherd. He was a servant. He was the youngest of eight children from Jesse. He became the king of Israel. So I want to walk through a little bit of this scripture to explain how I see David being small and insignificant, but then becoming great. So let's turn to 1 Samuel 17. 1 Samuel 17. Let's start in uh, verse 28. All right. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men... He burned with anger and asked, Why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the desert? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Hmm. His older brother, we see, is despising him. We see his older brother thinking more highly of himself than his little brother. You're the last one. You're just a servant. You're just a shepherd boy. What are you doing down here? Why have you come? It's almost as though he's perturbed. It's almost as though, I mean, he even tells him, I know how wicked your heart is. He's telling his own brother this. David's running to the battlefield, it says in the previous uh, scripture. He's running to meet them. 
He doesn't just walk up. He's running there to meet him. And this is how he gets approached. Hey, why are you here? Have you ever gone somewhere, been with someone, and that's the way that you get approached? Oh, hey, uh, Nolan. Hey, good to see you. What are you doing here? I mean, for a moment there, it makes you stop and think. <laughs> um, I mean, not that that's happened, huh, Nolan? Um, it, but it makes you feel uh, probably a lot like David, very small and insignificant, like, wait a minute, why can't I be here? What's going on? Well, let's keep reading. Listen to this. <clears throat> now that I have, uh, now what have I done, said David? Can't I even speak? He then turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter. And the men answered him as before. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul. And Saul sent for him. David said to Saul, Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight. So here I see David. He's beginning to stand up for himself. He said, Hey, wait a minute. Why can't I speak? What, what's wrong with me? I'm just as qualified as you guys. He says, look, I'm a servant, but don't be disheartened. Watch. He says, your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a boy, and he has been fighting man. He has been fighting man from his youth. Again, his older brother despises him and then even Saul is calling him out man you're just a little boy I mean David though he doesn't feel that way he, he, he's going to explain himself here coming up but when we go places that's why it's so important that we become confident in who Christ has made us to be we talked about 2 Corinthians a while ago we're a new creation in Christ we have to believe who we are in Christ Jesus because if not when we talk to people like our older brother when we talk to people like Saul it's going to cause us to waver because we do not know who we are in Christ. I'm going to stop right here for a second because there's a lot of times I see my brothers in here wavering back and forth because they do not know 100% who they are in Christ Jesus. Listen, you're in this room because God has called you, because you are being equipped. You are all qualified for the work that he is calling you to. You know without a shadow of a doubt what God has called you to and what he's called you from. So you need to stand firm and be confident in who God is making you and who he's pulled you out or what he's pulled you out of and stop listening to what man says. See, we have such a fear of man that we'll listen to whoever say anything about us and believe that it's true. And we forget the promises that God himself has given us and the things that he says is true about us. I remember the 12 mirror statements of the things that God says we are. If you don't have those written in your Bible, I would very much encourage you, grab that list from the pastors and write it on the front page of your Bible because those are life-giving. Those are life-saving. Those are a mirror reflection of what you are in Christ Jesus, each and every one of you. Now, does it mean that you're going to look just like your brother? No, absolutely not. But that's what makes us unique. That's what allows God to put us in different places on this, um, on the map. You know, my brothers are getting ready to go to Turkey. Uh, we already have a brother in Indonesia. I don't look like Brent. I don't talk like Brent. We're from the same place. But things like that do not matter in the kingdom. With Nick and Judah and Peyton, they're getting ready to go. 
uh, we don't look alike. We don't act alike. We don't hang out a lot. But it doesn't matter because I know who I am in Christ and we have a relationship with these young men and I do not allow things that God, I mean things that men say to cause me to waver to the left or to the right on that because I know who God has called me to be, what he has called me to do. And that's all that matters. I'm looking for God's approval because on judgment day, no one's going to be standing before me except King Jesus. So get the mirror statements. Put them in your Bible, guys. I want to see all of you reach the potential that God has called you to. I don't want any. Look, we've recently had situations where we've seen men of God in the faith for many years get pulled away by the schemes of the enemy. Listen, the schemes of the enemy are not new. They're old. He continues to use the same ones over and over again. We have to open our eyes to this so that way we don't fall into that same category. If he can take someone out that's been in the faith 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, who am I to think that I'm invincible after 10 years? This should be a wake-up call for us, guys. We need to know without a shadow of a doubt the seed that God has put in our hearts, only he can make it grow. Amen. Amen. All right. Let's see, where was I? Somewhere. Okay. Um, let's get down to, where was I? Thank you. But David said to Saul, oh, that's right. He's starting to defend himself. Here we go. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it. I struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it and killed it. Your servant. I like how, I like how David keeps calling himself that servant, right? Yeah. Everybody is like, oh, man, you're insignificant. It's almost like he's being, um, he's almost throwing it back in their face. They're calling him insignificant, small. What are you doing here? Why are you even talking? And he's like, yeah, yeah, hey, you know what? Your servant will do this. Hey, don't fear the uncircumcised Philistine. Your servant will do this. I just like that. Because sometimes we have to fight. We have to fight the enemy sometimes with his own tactics, right? Hey, look, you calling me short? Yeah, you're right. I'm the shortest guy in the world. But guess what? I'll be closer to the dollar that I'm going to pick up. You know, things of that nature. We sometimes, <laughs> we sometimes have to go after the enemy with his own tactics. So, I mean, he said this multiple times. Your servant this, your servant that. I love it. So here we go. Verse 36. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. Because he has defiled the armies of the living God. Man, if something like that does not set you on fire. And I feel the same way. That the enemy has picked on the people of Chivai and of that region for far too long. There's so much idolatry. There's so much Catholicism. Man's traditions. Um, there's mountain gods. I mean, it's a very dark place. And it's about time that that stops. And it's going to stop whenever we get there because I feel the same way. These people have defiled our God. And it's enough. He's given us that righteous indignation, like that righteous anger. It's time to go over there and fight, not for ourselves, 
but for someone else. I'm going to go fight for somebody else's vision, just like we learn here. Fight for my brother's vision. There's men that are crying out there, and they need the help. The Lord who delivered me from the pawn of the lion and I'm sorry from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. What confidence is that? Awesome. He calls himself a servant, but he says, "You know what? I might be little among you, but I'm about to do the very thing that none of you men will not do." Saul himself, listen to this. Saul said to David, "Go we, we heard it earlier. Go, and the Lord be with you. Amen. Now, you could take this a couple ways. Go, and the Lord will be with you. Almost like it's an encouragement, right? But the way I saw this, because the way he was belittling David at the beginning, it's like, okay, go. Go. <laughs> May the Lord be with you, man. It's almost like he's saying, I still don't believe. You can go and watch. I'll be right. When you get destroyed by this Philistine, don't say I didn't say so. And we know how the story ends. We're not going to go any further. But you know how the story ends. You know, David takes the head back and uh, he rejoices for the glory of God for what he's done in him. So through this, through this uh, scripture here about David, I want you to look at two different perspectives. Number one, do you see yourself and do you relate to yourself as David, as the one that's insignificant, the one that you despise? things in your own life and you say what good can come from me or are you more like his older brother are you filled with pride and with knowledge that you yourself begin to exalt yourself over those that are weak and those that are um, less filled with the spirit those that do not have the amount of knowledge of you and you're looking down upon them because when I read this, that's what I was doing. I was putting these two things in perspective in my own life. And I said, do, do I relate more with David or with his older brother? And um, because of the picture I showed you earlier, I feel like I'm more like David. I feel like, wow, I'm just a servant. I'm somebody that's insignificant. But ask yourself, where do you fall into this category? Because if you're on the side of his older brother, I want to remind you of... Ezekiel 34, when we're having a charge to the shepherds of what they should be doing, it says, you have not strengthened the weak. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. So be careful, guys, the way we treat those that are around us. Our very brothers, are you looking to help strengthen them because maybe they're a little weaker than you? Or are you looking to demean them? Like, why are you here? Oh, you came to our Bible study? For what? We need to be careful how we speak to each other. We need to be careful of the relationships that we're building or the relationships that we're destroying. Because, again, our relationships are everything, guys. Um, you know, I look around the room, and each family, each person, we have something special with each one of you with these relationships. And, you know, not one is greater than the other, but each one has something special, a special place in my family's heart on the relationship with each and every one of you. So know that we're here to help strengthen everyone. Our pastors are here to strengthen my family, and my family is here to help strengthen every relationship that we have made in the time that we've been here. Amen. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 3, 
I want to talk about this division in the infants in Christ because I feel like it's important. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I'm getting there. Starting here in verse 1. <clears throat> Brothers, I could not address you as, spiritually, as spiritual, but as worldly. Mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is, there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men? For when one says, follow Paul, and another, follow Apollos, are you not mere men? Again, the picture comes back to mind. Are we not mere men? Are we not mere men? Without the leading of the Spirit, we remain that way. What, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants. Just like David, right? We're only servants. Though whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. So neither he who plants nor he who waters anything, but only God who makes things grow. Amen. The man who plants and the man who waters have one purpose, and each will be rewarded according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers who are God's field and God's building. Again, the Lord will take these mere men, plant his seed in their heart, tenderize that heart, fertilize the heart, and he will be the one to allow it to grow. Amen? Amen? Amen. So just, just have hope that whatever God has given you, whatever he has started in you, will come to completion, but you have to allow God to let it grow. You cannot do it on your own. It's impossible. It's impossible. I say again about despising yourself. Do you think that nothing good can come from you? This reminded me of the spirit of Nathaniel from John. Nathaniel says, Nazareth? What good could come from Nazareth? As he's speaking of what we might think as an insignificant city or town and Jesus Christ our Savior. And I put myself in that. I said, buddy, could anything good come from you? But I see now after seeing these pictures and hearing the prophecies, yes, something good could come from me. Why? Because I'm going to let God's Holy Spirit water that seed, grow that seed, and watch something prosperous occur in my life when we get to Peru. This is not being overconfident. It's not being uh, um, boasting. It's being confident in knowing that God is going to bring about something prosperous in our life because of His Holy Spirit that leads us and not our own strength and mind. Amen? All right, let's move on. Let's go to Zechariah 4, 6. Zechariah 4, 6. We're going to see how... We're going to see how the word from the angel is going to encourage Zerubbabel. Verse 6. So he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. Exactly what we've been saying all morning. It's by his spirit 
not by your might, not by your own strength. What are you, O mighty mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you will become level ground. Then he will bring out the capstone and shouts of God bless it, God bless it. Hmm. I can tell you, when I get to Peru, that's one of the things I'm going to be crying out for, is God bless it, God bless it. You sent me here, now bless it. Then the word of the Lord came to me. The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. His hands will also complete it. Then you will know the Lord Almighty has sent me to, to you. See, it's by his spirit that allows not only myself, not only, to, not only Zerubbabel, but my brothers as well, to complete the task that God has set out for them. So we've talked about Lot. We've talked about King David. What I want to take a second right now and highlight two of my brothers that we are in church with day in and day out, that we do life with, because it's one thing for us to read this in the scripture, but I want you to see that in our own lives, God is at work and he's actually doing this. The first one is Chris. So I heard Chris's testimony, went over to the lighthouse the other day, and he began to tell me his testimony, lighthouse ministries. God put that seed in his heart. He felt completely inadequate. He felt small. He felt insignificant because did not have the finances. This has become some new work that he's never done before. He was telling me that he went to the community to talk to other people who have these uh, places like his. And they said, wait a minute, what are you doing? You've never done this before. You have no experience. You're coming from a medical background. But see, because Chris knows who he is in Christ, he didn't let that waver. He, he stood firm. He's like, yeah, absolutely. Praise God. He gave me this seed, and he knows and trusts that God is going to water it and make it grow. So we will begin to see prosperous things, prosperous things come from the Lighthouse Ministries. In fact, we went over there uh, about a week ago. We prayed with him and several other guys, and that's the very thing we were saying. God bless it. God bless it. We were crying out to the, to the Lord, saying, God, we know that you have called this into being. We thank you for putting Chris over it. Now would you bless it? The other one is Pastor Eric. Um, what we have here today, LCM, for those of you who are new to the church, those of you who are new to LCM that may not have heard all the testimony, just, just very quickly, because of Pastor Eric's obedience, what God planted in his heart about 13, 14 years ago to move to Sugarland, Texas, starts a church in his living room. Then it grows because God began to water it. He moves into the garage. He sends Pastor Matt. From the garage, they get into a storefront. Then they get to this place. Then it becomes more than one suite. Then next thing you know, they send past, uh, the Lord sends Pastor Wade. We get incorporated to LCM instead of LCMF. So this has been a lifelong process. This has not just occurred over the last two or three years. So... I'm taking the time to express this because we do have people like Chris and even Peyton and them who have been in the church for about three or four years may not be aware of where all of this started. See, everything that we see God's hand in had to start somewhere. It had to start with something little. It started with a little seed that was planted in Pastor Eric's heart, and he knew that God was going to bring this to completion. And now we're getting to see the culmination of all of this, the obedience of him walking in this, because now they're raising up disciples. 
They're raising up five-fold ministers. We're seeing missionaries being sent out. We're seeing the nations being reached through the one association. By the end of next year, there could be five families on the mission field from this church. Think about five families from a living room. You want to talk about things being and seeming insignificant. Three nations being reached, Indonesia, Turkey, and Peru. And that's just the beginning. That's a beginning, that's a beginning guys. Because I look out and I see many of you that are called to Israel, that are called to the nations. This is only a beginning. This is not the end by any means. So the thing is, we'll see five families. We'll see three nations touched. But it's all for one vision. It's to see some humble beginnings become prosperous for the glory of God. Amen. Amen. So, so don't let your humble beginnings remain insignificant in the kingdom. Hebrews 11.3, it tells us that everything starts as nothing. It says... By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. So we have to learn this. What God gives us, we have to start what he gives us and we have to finish what we start. Don't give up in the middle. Don't give up in the middle. Continue to run after the things that God has given you. The pastors are here to support you. Your brothers are here to support you. You're not alone. Run after the things of God wholeheartedly. I want to leave you with a couple of scriptures. Peyton, if you start to make your way up, please, brother. I said scriptures, but these are thoughts. I'm not that holy. Okay. <laughs> when you put the plumb line in your hand, you are pledging that the work is moving forward to full completion. And you will not despise the day of small beginnings. So what you start, what you begin, you must complete. If we complete it, we will see the culmination of the seed that has been planted in our heart. We'll become that mighty righteous oak. C.T. Sud says it this way. He says, let us not glide through this world and then slip gently into heaven without having blown the trumpet loud and long for our Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Let us see to it that the devil will hold a thanksgiving service in hell when he gets the news of our departure from the battlefield. <laughs> Guys, I stand here before you today and I say, I'm not ready to quit. I'm not ready to see myself come off the battlefield. I'm going to die on the battlefield because I want to see the kingdom advance. I want to see the glory of God shown in the nation that he has called us to. So we will die in that nation if that's what it takes. Amen. You guys stand with me. I want to finish with the scripture. Don't, don't turn there. Ezra 10.4 says this. Rise up. This matter is in your hands. We will support you. So take courage and do it. He's saying stand up. The word of God is now your responsibility. Stand firm, take hold of it, and bring it to completion in your life.